Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Goldmines, where we do what? Where we get inside the minds of brilliant comedians and, oh my God, what amazing minds they are. And today, well, today's mind will be no different. Today's mind is a mind that I've, I've known and I've been a fan of for so long because they've been in the game so long. And not only have they been in the game, but they've maintained such a nice level of success. And they seem to be a, a, a comics comic. It's a comic that comics love. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about Margaret Cho. She's on Comedy Gold Mines. Hey, Margaret. Hi. How That's are you? nice. You said that was nice, my introduction? I think that's nice, yeah, that's yeah. nice. It's I'm good really to be good. a comics, it's good to be a comics comic. That's what you want to be? Yeah. As a, as a comic, you want to be a comics comic. If you have the opportunity to be embraced by other comedians and respected by other people in the craft, it really does give you a good feeling just about what you're doing. It's, a, it's one of acceptance. It's right. a good one. Well, also, comics are really hard to make laugh. Absolutely. You know, they almost never laugh. They... Uh, or, like, they'll just say, oh, that's funny. Yeah. They just don't yeah. really laugh. Yeah, you don't get the, you don't get the, <laughs> you get, the, oh, that was good. Yeah, that's good. there's a, there's like a nod of acknowledgement, but there's very rarely, I mean, sometimes I, even I will actually really laugh at, it depends on how, I, I usually laugh at things that are really stupid. <laughs> like, just really dumb things that make me laugh. What comic makes you laugh? Who makes you laugh? Um... Oh gosh, you know who I used to love is Buddy Hackett. Ah, you know, okay. like, or like a um, something like those really old, like I like a Groucho Marx movie, like mm. a really, it's not dumb, but it's like physical, or um, some kind of uh, like that kind of thing, or like Peter Sellers was yeah. always very in- entertaining. Yeah, you like physical. Physical comedy, silly, silly, not not crazy, crazy, but things that are in the, like, um, let me see, let me give a good example. Like when you say Buddy Sellers, what's another example? Oh, like a th- like a Three Stooges. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like they actually, I find, are really fascinating because it's so violent. <laughs> the relationship. The relationship is so violent, and there's never really any kind of understanding of who these people are, but they're just beating each other up and it's so weird because they don't even look alike but i i'm assuming they're related yes they're brothers the three yes. stooges yeah 
And yes. and the, the beauty of that relationship is, like you said, it's one of violence, but also it's one where they are, they're always on a mission. They're always right. on a mission to get something done. And, and the beauty of the mission is that uh, three guys that aren't considered to be the smartest are led by a guy who thinks he's the smartest and the other guys battle to be smarter. It's like, it's that thing over and over right. again. I'm a fan. I've always been a fan, though, of the, of the physical comedy. So yeah. that's never, that's never going to miss with me. Margaret, yeah. how long have you actually been in the game of comedy? How long have you been doing it? Um, I've been doing stand-up comedy since 1984. Mm. So uh, that's quite a long time. That's a very long time. <laughs> it's about 30, 36 years. Why comedy? Why did you end up choosing comedy? Um, I really love the art form. I mean, I, I grew up watching uh, Three Stooges. I grew up watching um, SNL. Also, SCTV actually is probably more influential, mm -hmm. um, which I love. Uh, Eugene Levy and, of course, Schitt's Creek is sort of like the eventual kind of evolution of that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that kind of uh, comedy. Also, uh, Kids in the Hall made a huge impact on me a little bit later. Huge. Um, but I loved Joan Rivers as a comedian, and I really idolized her, and uh, watching her on television made me realize, like, oh, I, I realized that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm. And then I didn't really even wait till I grew up because I was pretty young when I started. But uh, I just loved the art form of it and I loved comedy. I loved the control that comedians had over uh, an audience. And, um, you know, to me, it's just such a, uh, a very simple art form, but it's also very complicated because you're creating these worlds out of your words. And I think that's very powerful. Absolutely. I mean, you're painting pictures, painting mm -hmm. pictures for the audience to not only see, understand and relate to but uh i guess you can say just to to get a real a real crash course into to your life you know through laughs that's what i love the most about it you know it's 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 basically my my form of expression but more importantly my way of of telling you who i am what i'm going through and and what my point of view on certain things are it's 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 therapy for me that's how i look at yeah. it this is it's therapeutic, you know, to get on stage and to talk about some things that are dark, some things that are not. And the thing that you look for in return is the laugh. And that acts as, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the win. That's the bonus. It's my feel good. Um, when you say like you've been doing it and you, you now, you now look back at the beginning part of your career, was there ever a part or point in comedy where you were like, you know what, maybe this isn't going to be it. Maybe this isn't going to work. No, no. You know what? I've never, ever got to that point. Fortunately, I always had a pretty good relationship business-wise to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had nothing else going on in my life other than stand-up comedy. You know, I couldn't be an actor necessarily. I am now, but not when I was younger. There was never Asian roles in anything mm -hmm. you know so you could never get a, a job as an actor so fortunately i was still able to be a comedian and um for whatever reason like there was always comedy work you know there was always a job like i, I could never do anything else either i always got fired at other jobs it was terrible <laughs> at everything else so i was able to be a comic because also nobody wanted to be a comic it was weird now there's a lot more comedians a lot but in the 80s like nobody 
there was no nobody wanted to be a comedian. So you got a sort of job security because everybody wanted to go out and see comedy. Also, there was like if you were um, not opposed to hosting like rock shows, and I also like went on tour with like rock bands and did big like rock venues later. You know that that's something that um, was very uh, lucrative mm. to do because they just always needed a host to like keep it together. Or when they were like putting instruments, changing the setups for the band on stage, you could go on in between. They always needed somebody to do that, and uh, I was there for that. You know, it's crazy that you say that when you you said something that's very interesting. You know, like there's there's always a job right mm -hmm. for for a comic. There's always a, a way to 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 get revenue from the craft and and it's mm -hmm. about i guess you could say being ambitious and finding that thing and you talk about the world of um of touring and you going with rock and roll bands you know this is something that is uh not traditional but yet common like when you say uh keeping keeping a crowd together keeping them in tune and prepared just uh you know for for the show and the show to come normally they put comedians in any environment because these there's this assumption that a comedian, no matter what, no matter what, a comedian can keep a crowd's attention. And yeah. you going on tour with rock and roll bands, I find to be just super dope because it's just not, it's not what you would expect. It's not what you would expect mm -hmm. to hear a comedian do. And that doesn't stop, that doesn't stop like um, you from doing other things. That just acts as one tier. So it can be the yeah. tour for the rock and roll bands and then over here at your comedy clubs and your late night spots, et cetera. Um, where were you at when you, when you started? Where were you living at? I was in San Francisco, which was a great place to start as a stand-up comedian. Great comedy town. It's a great comedy town. Um, and there was a lot of uh, morning radio that supported stand-up comedians, too. So you would see, like, people like Bobby Slayton kind of up and early in the morning and going on mm. these radio shows. And they would be, like, hyping their shows for the night. So you had... Um, just a, like a, a whole industry, a, a sort of minor industry around comedy with radio. So radio was pretty uh, influential in promoting comedians. There were sometimes comedians who would get like these radio shows and be playing music and also talking about the gigs that they were doing. And so I kind of got involved in that world, which was really great. And getting to see all of these comedians in a very early, early stage, people like Paula Poundstone and Ellen DeGeneres or Bobcat Goldflate mm. or Dana Carvey. Um, you know, that was amazing. Such a great class. Yeah. Such a great class to come great. up in. Who was your, who acted as like your, your, your crew? Did you have a, uh, a comedy clique that you were rolling with uh, in, in the early stages? The people that I uh, came up with, so my generation um, is like Patton Oswalt. Mm -hmm. Patton Oswalt and Brian Posehn and Blaine Kapatch were three comics. They lived a block away from me. And then we all lived across from a club called the Holy City Zoo, which was a small stand-up comedy club that was secretly owned by Robin Williams. And he used to be the doorman there in the 70s, and then he bought the club. And... Um, would come there and do sets and all of the comics would gather there after their shows late at night and usually we all sort of lived near the place so it was great because we would just all meet up and this is before anybody was married or had kids and you know comics were not hooking up with anybody we're just like hanging, hanging out, out with each other yeah. but laughing and so we would come together robin williams would come and 
do a set and um you know it was just really like comics together and you know we were just um having a good time so it was a very special time to be a young comedian is in the early early 90s in san francisco you know when you say that it makes me think about the days in new york because hanging out is what the best part of being a comedian is and mm -hmm. like you said it's not about hooking up and doing all the crazy shit it's really about the laugh yeah. and it's about the conversation around the laugh and when you find yourself in an environment with, with comedians that love comedy and support other comedians you know you you truly are in a place of happy mm -hmm. you know i remember in new york we would our place was the comedy cellar yeah. you know we would literally go up and we would finish at the comedy cellar and sit from 12 to 3 30 a.m at a table and just talking and trashing one another or, yeah. or or talking about each other's sets but it was exactly what you just said it was just hanging out and i feel like I feel like in in comedy. I mean, now I'm a little removed from it. I haven't I haven't been back to um you know to to go to the spots to where I once where I once frequented and hung out. Mm -hmm. But you know, I wonder if there is a presence of that with the younger generation. Like if they're if they still embrace that side of the craft. I hope so. I think so. I mean, I think that there is that. Although nowadays there's so many different ways to be a comedian. You know, there's a lot of people who are doing clubs that never really did like comedy shows per se they were like doing stuff on the internet like they're like TikTok comics or their youtube comics or instagram comics you know that they have a huge following that has nothing to do with um the way that we started in, in stand-up comedy so that's a very different thing as well which i think is really interesting so mm. there's a lot of different ways to be a comedian now and I think um, there's a part of the industry that embraces that as well. Well, I mean, look, it's a time for new. Things have to change. Mm -hmm. They have to be amplified. So um, the approach to the craft is different. When you talk about the Internet, you talk about social media, uh, you'll find that the, the world of skits and sketches um, act now as a segue to the stage for some. Right, like a lot of yeah. the uh, the viral talent that has um, blossomed and 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 turned into uh, younger, funny, ambitious comics. You know, they mm -hmm. they went the reverse way. They said, "All right, I'm gonna go here, get the attention, and then I'm gonna go learn this craft." But I'm able to bring my following from over here, and that following mm -hmm. comes to support me. And you know, as I as I as I get some time and some reps, of course, they get better, they get stronger. But I think it's really, uh, it's really interesting that they're able to build an audience first and then go to the craft. Whereas before, it was yeah. about getting the craft down, understanding yeah. it, and then after that, trying to go out and grab your audience. So it's like it's yeah. like a little reverse. Yeah. But I think, it's, I think it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, you know, I think uh, talent is talent. And, mm -hmm. and the, the name of the game is, is getting seen, right? Is getting yeah. yourself in a position to get seen. I think that's what they're doing. Yeah. What's your take on it? Like, do you, do you have a take on, on uh, how you feel uh, comedy is changing today just within the approach from this generation? I love it. I love it. I think it's so interesting. And I get really excited about it. You know, to me, it's just so different and new and um, I'm actually quite into TikTok like that's such a weird thing because I feel like it it's so sophisticated what people are able to do in just 15 seconds yes, yes. you know and I'm super impressed do you understand by, it 
Yeah, you understand I it. absolutely <laughs> you get it. understand. I get it and I love it. And I love to see how that translates into live performance. And I'd love to see what people are doing with it. So it's to me really exciting. I know that um, a lot of stand-up comics really are are just, I'm, I think we're all kind of like amazed at how things have changed so much that, you know, we're embracing so much. I think stand-up comics also were like, there was always like the real sort of negative attitude towards variety acts, like people who were like magicians or um, jugglers yes. or whatever. Yes. You were sort of like always going like, oh, I don't know, or like a hypnotist. Yes. yes. It always was like, well, that's that's not real. <laughs> but it's so, I, I think of, of all that as being very legitimate, you know, and sort of looking back to the old days of burlesque and how, all of those variety acts really applied to the same stage as comedians. And, and so I think it's cool. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Have you had the opportunity to to take on the mentor role to any degree? You know, like uh, being yeah. a poison polished comic, do you find younger women that are uh, that are new to the stage um, asking for yeah. advice and asking for information? And have you uh, put yourself in a position to to give? You know, give some gems. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You have to. I mean, that's really the most important part of comedy is to influence a younger generation and i'm lucky enough that i have that's probably my greatest achievement is inspiring a younger generation of asian american women absolutely to be comedians people like ali wong and yes. aquafina and you know really the list goes on and on of all of these amazing people who are stand-up comics who are doing their work because they saw me doing they oh i could do this too so that's mm -hmm. a great thing so i'm really honored by that but that's oh. a very important part of uh stand-up comedies to mentor. Well, yeah, I mean, you you are a pioneer. 
Like you, yeah. you when you talk about you know Asian women and 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 the understanding that hey anything is possible. You need you need visions. You need you mm -hmm. need to see and understand that oh it can happen. You definitely are that. So when you talk yeah. about now um, the the growth, like there's a massive growth um, in the opportunities for Asians and entertainment in general, right? And to be seen right. in this this whole fight for equality and and equal. Um, um, not just treatment, but opportunity, right? It's mm -hmm. it's a it's a real thing. It's a real conversation, and you definitely can see the growth in it. So I think it's yeah. super dope that you say, okay, well, we went back there, we 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 mentor, we make sure that we inform. That's the most mm -hmm. important thing about what we do. Is is yeah. I feel yes, finding success for ourselves, but making sure that we're opening up the doors for the people after us to kick through and possibly find other doors to open up as well. Yes, the craft has to continue to expand and grow. Absolutely. That's the most important part. And you've always been, you've always been like a, uh, a outspoken um, person as well. Mm -hmm. I, I love that you, you have a voice and you're not afraid to use your voice, right? And mm -hmm. the world of politics to you is one that's important. Um, when did you feel the need to say, okay, well, in my platform, now that I have with my success, there's also things that I feel important that I need to talk about and speak on. When did you want to, when did you understand that you wanted to make that transition as well? Well, that was from the beginning because when I was working out and doing stand-up comedy in the 80s and 90s, I was doing a lot of uh, like charity work and benefit for AIDS and people with HIV. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of venues and those kinds of like political events were incredibly important. So coming out of the gay community, being gay, this was like a major part of my entire life. Um, so it's activism has always been part of it. Gayness mm -hmm. has always been part of it. Uh, and the intersectionality of being a person of color and being gay. Mm, I love it. I love it. And now, what do you feel about the tone? I mean, you know, as a comic and, and addressing the climate uh, today and just the, the, the side of people just wanting to be heard and understood uh, and, and the world of respect. That's what I would say it boils down to, you know, respecting one another. And and now, you know, it's not necessarily just about sensitivity. I think it's about feelings. And I think it's about being aware of feelings and, and being mindful of uh, things that hurt. Um, in comedy, do you feel like this has put a... a hamper or or dent in the craft because of you know the tone um and the, the heightened level of well you can't say and can't say how do you feel about it now i think it's really important that you have a lot of skill in approaching subjects now um that's probably the most important aspect like if you can deliver a message that's really nuanced then it's a, a very um important thing to be able to do i mm -hmm. think like like cancel culture and all those things require us as comedians to be more skilled in our message and it just have to be much more finessed like if you look back at comedians like i look to people like um uh, rudy ray moore mm -hmm. who was so i was actually in a movie with rudy ray moore which is like one of my most prized <laughs> <laughs> exciting um achievements but um but i was i think i think in the last movie that he did before he died wow. and so you know you look at comedians like that or red fox or lawanda page and joan rivers and buddy hackett and that whole generation of comedians were just so um they could really get away with anything yeah 
you know, yeah. and part of it was the culture, but part of it was a little bit of finesse. And I think it's about a stylistic choice and about being very conscious about the message being taken apart. So you have to be really tricky with it. It's, it's, it's quite like, you know, juggling magic. It's almost being like a variety act as well. You've got to really kind of like work it out in a lot of different ways, but it's tough. Who do you think today uh, has that? Who do you think has a has the skillful approach that you're talking about now? Oh, you know who's really good is uh, uh, Wanda Sykes. I love Wanda. She's really skillful at at sort of pulling things and 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 dragging things into an area, an arena of nuance and uh, effectiveness. I think. Um, somebody uh like joel kim booster he's really mm. incredible at it you know there's a lot of people robin tran is probably my favorite robin tran is a really amazing uh trans woman comedian she's a vietnamese american she's one of my favorites and she's just so good at pulling things apart and she says things you cannot believe that she can get away with but what is that it's the it's the delivery so finesse delivery yeah yeah. It's so finessed, and it's just like, oh, I, I, I really, I have a lot of um, admiration for people that can really, like, you know, kind of walk. It's quite a minefield. Now I'm gonna steal that word. I, I like the word finessed. Yeah. And I, and I like you. I like the way you use it because it's, it's true. You know, I think there is today. You, you definitely have to. Um, you just got to make sure that you're really you're really stepping into your space of skill within comedy. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's not just about the joke now. It's also about the delivery of the joke. But more importantly, it's the takeaway. What, what, do, what do I want you to take away from the joke? What do I want you to take away from the premise? And, and now you're, you're, you're vetting jokes out. You're, you're making right. sure that they're that they're checking these boxes, and and you know, to me, I, I kind of put my jokes in tears, right? So it's like, you know, when you're when you're telling the joke, I normally give about three hits within the joke because mine's are more stories. So how do I have it like a drum almost, like to do to do to do, and 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 create a nice rhythm to it? But it's exactly what you're saying, and and I like I like that. I like I like the approach that you're speaking of because it's one that I think comics that listen to this podcast and people that listen to the podcast can definitely you know you can you can get a great understanding a more clear understanding um based off your description just now what let's go back to the beginning for a second um margaret when did you realize that you were you were taking off when did you know oh shit this is now this is bigger for me this is my opportunities are are now much greater than what they once were like this 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 stardom thing is is getting real it's it's here no, I mean, it's weird because it's like so it was such a weird time to start being a comedian. And then, you know, I was still a kid, really, in the 80s, maybe like when I started doing MTV. Do you remember MTV's half hour comedy hour with like Mario yes, Joyner? Yes. So I did that a couple of times. And then I started to think like, oh, I'm actually like getting somewhere. So I would like be hanging out with like Janine Garofalo and Colin Quinn. And I thought I was all that like, you know, I thought I was like in this sort of 90s era of comedians who were actually doing different things. And we all idolized David Cross and Bob Odenkirk and they were doing Mr. Show and, mm -hmm. you know, this kind of like new kind of comedy that was super surreal and super weird. And uh, getting to be a witness to 
to that, you know, then I guess it was just the people that we were around that, you know, seeing like other comics doing stuff and thinking, oh, I'm actually in this group of people or that rise of like, quote unquote, alternative comedy where it was very uh, much storytelling and um, there was a couple of venues that we would go to where they didn't have a microphone and we just thought it was so cool. So stupid. It's so stupid, but it's just like, we just thought it was cool. You know, we didn't have a microphone. We had like everybody sitting on the floor and we had like a standing on a rug. <laughs> it was very interesting. I think that is cool though. It's cool. I, I like it. You're saying that we thought it was so cool. I like it. I, I think it's cool. I yeah. like I like the intimacy of it. That's that's what I like when you do that. You take away from the microphone and you know, you got a little small crowd with you. That's just a it's a different world. That's a comfort spot yes. for me. I love that. Yes. Very, very yes. comfortable for me. Let's talk about today. What are you doing today? What's new? Are you are you touring? Are you on the road, off the road? Both. A little okay. bit. A uh, little bit. It's weird because like during the last year of the pandemic, I did a lot of streaming shows, which I mm -hmm. thought was actually really cool. And Define that. Like, what are you, that. who are you doing streaming shows like for? Like doing shows on Zoom, doing mm -hmm. things like on um, different kinds of streaming platforms, doing things on Instagram Live. Wow. Um, I actually really loved it. You know, there was a, a kind of uh, real... Um, focus you have to put into those kinds of performances. Mm -hmm. So I, I got sort of really good at that, you know, and I really enjoyed doing shows kind of just from my house. And then I was out on the road. Uh, I did some movie stuff. Um, I did a great big gay movie for Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Yang. Um, I love it. Congrats. So it was really fun. It was called Fire Island. It's a beautiful gay romance movie that'll be out next summer <laughs> okay and um so that was really cool and uh i'm just doing more acting stuff mm -hmm. so i'm in like every all there's so many asian shows now so i get to be like a guest star in every asian show so i'm like the joan collins of every asian like the diane <laughs> carroll of every show special guest jane wyatt like it's a very good feeling to be yeah. able to be the special guest star in every asian show so i got to do like Aquafina's show. Yes. And, um, I did Dookie Hauser. Dookie Kamalo. Dookie Hauser's like the Hawaiian cousin. Dookie Kamehaloa Loa in um, Hawaii, which is very cool. Um, so that that to me is like a really exciting part of the new renaissance of Asian American entertainment to be a part of it. Well, the beauty you just said something so dope. You said there's so many Asian shows now, yeah, and and I think that's amazing. Like you know, you, you once again you're seeing the growth, you're seeing the progression, and that's a that's that's important mm -hmm. i think that's that's extremely important because there's room for all of us yeah. there's enough success for all of us and there is no reason why we all shouldn't get the same opportunities yes. right and 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 right now i i love that you're you're so happy about um not only being there from the beginning but now where you are saying oh my god this is so amazing because i remember when there weren't yeah I remember when, like you, you are a real, you're a real vision of no. Before we didn't have that. Yeah. There weren't any Asian comedians. There weren't any, and now you see where it is now. I mean, that's that's got to be pretty dope for you to see and feel. So great. I mean, and and it's to me, it's job security. It's just mm -hmm. so that I could be everybody's like mom or grandma, which is like the best. <laughs> it's the best to be a guest star. It's so fun to be a guest star. I love it. So, yeah. Uh, when you when you say now we we talked about 
uh, the beginning stages of your career. We talked about when you felt that the success was coming. We talked about now uh, the things that you're doing, and that was about acting. So within stand-up now, after pandemic, and, you know, things are, are moving, you know, I think we're, we're, we're slowly getting back to the place of, of normal, um, and, and hopefully soon will be a, a, a full-functioning world that, that is... Uh, that's that has what this catastrophic moment was in our past right um the stage the live stage is that is that something that you're going back to yes um so i just did shows this past weekend i've been doing like shows at clubs every weekend which is really gratifying and i think it's a really you have a renewed sense of purpose and commitment to it because like we realize it's something that can be taken away easily Mm. And so I really have a renewed fervor for it. Like I really love it um, in a way that I haven't appreciated in quite some time. So this is a great thing, you know, and I feel like all comedians are really energized to go back out there. So it's great. I'm on the road a lot more and I'm planning to do a lot more in the, the coming year. And so that's that's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of feel like we took for granted what we had. Mm-hmm. Right, like the mm-hmm. the relationship from from us to live audience, is is one that we kind of just you know, we assumed would forever be there. Right, there mm-hmm. we're the one craft that we feel we control. Yeah, nobody can take comedy from us as ours. We right. decide when we want to do it. We decide when you when we don't want to do it. And yes. when this happened, you know, this was the first time that you you really had a a miss. Like I I miss not just the stage, but I miss the reaction i miss the the laughing response i i miss it and Mm -hmm. you know now i've been working out i'm getting back um getting back out there trying to put another hour together and there is a real like new energy Mm -hmm. that i have there's a there's a new piece of excitement of touching the stage and grabbing the microphone yeah i found like some some real good energy about it and you know hype to go back the next day Mm -hmm. hype to try to get back on and figure it out again it's like it's uh it's refreshing it's it's really refreshing and you know i i I understand what you're saying when you're like you know you feel you just feel good you feel different there's a there's a good a good piece of energy from you to that to Mm -hmm. that thing like it's not one that is uh that's gotten old or that we're getting jaded with right um i mean i'm i'm really pumped up i'm really Mm -hmm. pumped up about um the future of comedy after pandemic and yeah people just getting back out there because i think the one thing we all need to do is laugh we need to laugh hi it's stephen colbert and i'm here to tell you about the late show pod show which is the podcast of the late show with me stephen colbert and i'm here with my uh producer of the podcast becca hi becca hi stephen so what do people get when they listen to the late show pod show let's let's sell this thing the extended moments for sure because we run out of time for broadcast but we have plenty of time on the podcast It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. You are also an author. Yes. You wrote some books. I believe you got two books. How many books did you write? I just have two books. I I write like, you know, it's so uh, weird because like I have a fractured relationship with writing like i go back and do it and then i'm like oh i, I don't want to do it like I, I feel like so like it's so focused to like sit and write a book mm-hmm. it's hard for me to do that nowadays like now i'm like i just want to be writing stand-up comedy although um you know i think that being an author it's like 
something that I don't know why I've sort of lost the the fervor for, mm-hmm. but I'll get it back at some point, I guess. It's a nice uh, way to like be old, I think, and like write books. <laughs> what was the names? What was the names of your books? I wrote a book called I'm the One That I Want, um, which is really a story about television and working in TV and having the first Asian American TV show. And the other book is called I, I Have Chosen to Stay and Fight, which is really a book about politics in the early 2000s, which is like very it. fraught with a lot of controversy and, you know, sort of the beginning of the division of right and left in this country. So it's, um, it, you know, it's something that I, I really am proud of to, to have done, but haven't gone back to writing books. You know, uh, I'm getting more more into it. Like I'm on, mm-hmm. I'm on book number three now. I'm about to release. Yeah. And you know what I did was, it, I went from the the place of like hardcover, and I'm mm-hmm. now doing the Audible originals, right? Because oh yeah, that's great. It's, it's it's writing, but then also you're acting out the thing. Right. That you're doing. That's great. And it puts a yeah. it puts another little piece of energy into it too for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you yeah. when you get to tell the story and you get to put the emphasis on the words and the the the, the chapters, etc. Like you get to uh, pick a feeling and pick a mode to stay in. So right. I'm in this uh, this space of motivation and inspiration within literature. Mm-hmm. That's my that's cool. I feel like that's my off season. On season is comedy. Yeah. Off season. Inspiration, motivation, and and uplifting. That's what I'm trying to do. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I think that's really important. I mean, it's like kind of, for me, I I was really into doing podcasting. So I was doing a podcast that this past season, we did the history of um, hate crimes against Asian Americans from 1849 to present day. And so that was sort of more of a kind of in-depth look at history that had little to do with sort of like my comedic writings and more of my sort of historian side. So that uh, was really gratifying. But um, it, it's something like to, to do like a writing thing, a project. It's, I love the idea of doing like an audible mm. version because that to me, I think is more alive. Yeah, you should. You definitely should. Yeah, that's cool. I would say, I would say if you to do another one or to go into that space, you should really visit that just to just to see yeah. the world of it. Yeah, especially yeah, especially cool. just and like you said, just finding that new energy, finding the new mm-hmm. the new thing. I think uh, the Audible original space is just really strong. Yeah, music. Like I talked to you about music, right? Uh, yes. You dropped yes. like an album. What did you do? I do a lot of different. Th- I'm actually like a musician, so I've been playing um, the Mellotron and the synthesizer during pandemic, during the lockdown. So I've been working with like really weird sounds. And, Holy shit! Like it's super weird. Like I play weird instruments. Like I play the dulcimer and I play like a bunch of weird instruments. And I, I mean, to me, it's just like making weird sounds. And I really love uh, people like Weird Al Yankovic or people like Flight of the Concords that really do make legitimately beautiful music, but they're great musicians. And so to me, it's about like working out a craft, um, writing songs. And, you know, I have to uh, sort of think about like what my next record will be. But to me, that's just like an old tradition of like, doing everything as an entertainer, you want to be able to like do it all, like both be like an actor and a singer and a comedian and an author and you know, all of that. But music is very important. You get it. Yes. You 
get it. <laughs> you understand. Like it's yes. as a comedian, actor, entertainer, like you can, you can check off so many boxes in the space of talent. Um, mm -hmm. Now you say weird instruments, but you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they are to call them weird. You like weird sounds. Are you choosing those because of that? Because they're odd. What, what attracts you to the outside, to the outside instrument? Well, so that nobody can really tell if you're bad at it because nobody's <laughs> ever seen it. So, like, I have a guitar and a mandolin, and I play them both. So it's two sets of strings, two arms, and two sets of strings, and then I play them all at the same time. So it sounds – I figure out a way to tune it so it sounds at least not discordant, but it sounds good, but it's like – it's such a weird thing that nobody can really tell what's happening. And I think that that's the, when you can like master things that are super obscure, everybody thinks you're a genius. Nobody knows it's bad. Here's what I want to know now, right? Because you, now that I'm talking to you more, I'm getting a sense of, you know, you're, you're a person that, uh, you, you seem to, to understand how to occupy your, your mind, right? And you, you give yourself mm -hmm. things to, to stay busy, on and at so so are you a uh are you a, are you a person that's conscious of your of your mind of your mental like do you take time just for you to step away from everything yes well i've i've done so many drugs that i have to rebuild some of my uh cortex okay like i have to like rebuild like my brain functions because i did so much damage in the early part of my life that okay. i have to like go back and try to connect the synapses like tie them together like tin cans together with thread like just to make sure that they're connected i'm trying not to get like you know any sort of like very bad sort of brain disorders by trying to tie things back together so i did enough damage trying to rebuild now in that time when you say so many drugs were we talking were we talking the hard the hard hidden drugs were we everything. talking everything you say it everything was i was a raver so i did a lot of like lsd and not molly but actual mda like okay. md mdma so this is like ecstasy like old school ecstasy okay and i did so much drugs that like when i hear the song by delight groove is in the heart that part that goes, beow, beow, yeah, yeah. I can taste that part. Like, I've given myself synesthesia from all of the things I've done. So I've broken down so many barriers in my mind that it's just like, oh, this is super weird. Like, it's just one giant room in my head that I've got to rebuild. If you could put a person, who's the most famous person that you were able to do drugs with that you hold on to that moment? Oh, um, oh gosh. For example, smoking weed with Snoop was like, that's, that's like my thing that I held on to. That's yeah, like, I could well, I've done that. I've had Thanksgiving with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't remember anything that happened, but we did. He likes to roll. He's a very, you know, he loves to roll a blunt. And then that's yeah. why you get so high with Snoop is because he will continue to roll and then take one hit and then pass it. So you're smoking the rest of the blunt and he's just like, He's old. He's not as high because he's just smoking one hit and then passing it. So yeah, yeah. it's really, yeah. it's quite canny the way he does it because he's just, he's a manic roller. He, well, he just keeps it going. And, and, and what I, what I found where I had to tap out, I mean, there was like, he had like five blunts 
just being passed at the same time. And I was like, well, this is going to, there's no way that I'm making it out of here. I, I need to just get out yeah. of this circle because this yeah. is just too much at, yeah. at this point. I can't. And he can function. He can function and be okay. Like there is no, there is no down for him. Right. I've been high with him, Cypress Hill, and Chichen Chong. All That's in the same, smoking the same time. All at the same time. That's a big one. That's pretty. That's a big one. That's pretty high. That's a big one. That's so, a big one. Cheech and Chong is pretty dope. That's pretty yeah, dope. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, he, they're, they're great. You know what? I worked with Woody Harrelson. We just did a movie together. I should have smoked mm. with Woody just to say I smoked with Woody. Yeah, that would have been that would have been great. I mean, he's legendary. Yeah, for sure. But back in the day, like you know, at that time when Pryor and all of them were around, never you never got to be in the circle and go, oh my God, look at this. This is crazy. I'm doing drugs with mm -hmm. with some of the with some of the craziest names in the business, and I'm just in a room, being aware, being conscious, and and just you know putting putting yourself in a in a space to be responsible. Like okay, absolutely. I I know I do this, but I don't need to do it in the with the volume the volume that I've done in the past. I'm gonna take it away, right. remove it. Like, I, I think yeah. that's good. And is it alcohol too, or is it just the drugs? Yeah, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't do you. anything. Yeah, I just have a lot of cats. Good for you, how many cats, how many cats? I have you? three cats and one dog. Three cats? like a cat, so that, I have a lot of animals. I'm all like scooping shit all the time. <laughs> three cats, one dog, I love it, I love yeah. it. I'm learn I've yeah. learned so much about you. In yeah. this in this period of time, and I and I yeah. like it. I like what yeah. I've learned. And you know what, man? What I what I really respect is people that are okay in their truth, right? Like you know, mm -hmm. you talking about your past and saying, "Yeah, I did drugs and I was on it, but I'm clean now." Like I love I love yeah. people that can that can speak, um, you know, on their flaws or not. Like it's it's yeah. just that's what the that's what makes the podcast uh, really good because it's mm -hmm. about really getting an understanding and education on the person that I'm talking to in a way that I would never have an opportunity for. So I hope my yeah. listeners uh, feel the same way, man. You're you are a very not only nice, not only very nice woman, but you are you're just dope within your approach to life. Like I like oh. I like you talking about music. I like you saying uh the comedy and I like you talking about being an author, like and now an actor. Mm -hmm. Like I just like you checking all these boxes uh and really taking advantage of the world of opportunity. It's really oh. dope. Well, thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. Um, listen, Margaret, this is Comedy Gold Mines. And like I said, we get inside the minds of brilliant comedians. And oh my God, what an amazing mind you were. Uh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, with that being said, get educated on Margaret. Uh, also, Margaret, tell them the books. I know that they've been out, but tell them. Now people may want to go out and get them. Read a little uh, bit about them. What's the yes. name of them again? Uh, that's, um, I'm the one that I want, and I've chosen to stay and fight. And what about albums? Can they get any albums? I have an album called Cho Dependent and an album called American Myth. Those are my music records. And I have a million comedy records, a um, million specials. I got to do a new one, so... We gotta, we gotta figure that out. What do you think? If you had to do I'd a new one, when do you, when do you think you would do it? Hopefully, hopefully by uh, the end of this year, or okay. which is coming up actually, so okay. next couple of months, hopefully, or the next next year early. We'll see. I love it. Well, let's get one yeah. out. 
Let's get one out. The world needs some more Margaret show. I Uh, love it. Thank you so much, Margaret. This was long overdue. And I really do mean it when I say I appreciate you. This was dope. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.